it is in a sense neutral but of course the more it advances the more it is able on both sides of that neutrality it can be even more evil and even more good or you know it can have even more evil effects rather and even more good effects it's more powerful hello i'm dave i'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together i need to get better please make me better i want to get better 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 acquainted with you today we're getting better acquainted with my dad again hello hello when we did our first interview we were going to germany now we've just got back to the uk from germany we're in a bus national express bus going from stansted to stratford where we hope that the tube line will be running but we're not sure at this moment in time when i do a second interview with people it gets a bit kind of weird in terms of the two questions because they're the same questions they're standard question. The first one is, where did you first meet me? I think we established last time when I was born. Don't really need to go into that. The other question though is, what do you do at the moment? What do I do at the moment? Not at the precise moment to mean it with my life. It's, I say, yes, what do you do? So I don't say, what, what's no, your no, job? Because no, I don't. No, I know what you mean, yes. Um, <laughs> well, let's listen to the driver for a moment and then. To make sure our seatbelts are on, which we have, we're about to start. Uh, what do I do? Uh, I spend a lot of time at the computer on the internet, and also, I mean, I have two computers. I have a big new iMac and an old laptop. The last Apple laptop they made them the old Black Notebook series, which will still run present day operating system. So I spend a lot of time on both on those, both of those. Reading and you know, reading Wikipedia. Art and Letters Daily. Yes, we're all going to Stratford. Art and Letters Daily and Wiki and uh, writing on them on the small laptop, usually in bed. And then I spend a bit of time gardening. Okay. And quite a bit of time seeing members of the family. Yeah, that's probably. So you're retired in a way. So I'm retired. So that's the long, yes. the long answer. Yes, I mean, I have to sure answer. Is I have to earn money. You know. That's quite an interesting thing, I guess, to talk with you about, about the internet. I mean, earlier today, we were talking with your granddaughter, yes. my niece. We were sort of realizing when we were talking to her that she is, she was born after the internet was invented. So she is what, she's 12? In fact, so she's younger than the internet, but we were realizing that she was of the generation who have never known a world without. Without broadband, virtually. Well, yeah, I suppose by the time she got to the sort of age five, six, to seven, speak. But you were born in a world. Without, yes. I mean, I was born in a world without. Touring. Yeah, I was born in a world before the internet, and it came in when I was a a teenager. It became more more widely used. Yeah. And then I was realising that only over the last five, six years. Have I actually started using the internet to this kind of extreme level where I'm on, online all the time? But you were offline, you were born into an offline world. Yes, I mean, I didn't, um, I didn't encounter computers until what, 19? 80, in the early 80s, 81, 82, or something like that. They would start, you, you would find the odd school with a computer and it, it was, well, no, I actually first encountered them in the 1950s because I happened to live in a flat above a mathematician who was the computer technician on the London University Medical School computer, which was one of these huge computers of the day with valves, and uh, I think it still had valves. But anyway, you know, it, it took up a whole air-conditioned huge room. And he used to go up every day on the bus, and I used to sit up on the bus with him and talk to him. We used to go up together, and he got me interested in it, took me and showed me around. And I think they were programming in COBOL or something like that, one of the very early languages. And he told me a bit about it. But he was mathematical, I wasn't. But he, you know, I got interested. And then, then I 
was walking down Tottenham Court Road in, in, a bit later in the 80s and I saw uh, the first, I forget what it was, it was an American computer. It was a little, it was the, the, the first kind of desktop that you could buy. It wasn't a Commodore, it was before that, so it was bigger, it was a whole desk. But I remember looking at it and thinking, oh, it's happened now, you know, we'll soon be able to buy a computer. And I was always interested in it from the, I always saw from the beginning how useful it would be in terms of word, word processing. Because I was a bad typist, I mean, I always typed all my life, five, I typed to write, but I, I'd never learned to touch type. And I mean, I saw this thing which could, you know, you could type and, and erase and alter and all this sort of thing. You didn't have to use the tip hex and no, take it out and go you back. You didn't and have a terrible messed up manuscript which you then had to retype for the next version, you know. So that's how I got into it. So then I bought myself, because I was working on a film, the film paid half the money. I got myself a dedicated word processor which worked with an ad and a typewriter. Which you know about. You saw that. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember you. You, well, you had a word processor, yeah. Yeah. That was the first, well, you had a typewriter first, then you got yeah, a word processor. It was an processor. electronic typewriter, but it had a dedicated, had a 60 kilobyte memory or something, and a little dedicated. It was a dedicated. Called a ded, it was a dedicated word processor. It didn't do anything else. And it had this 60 kilobyte memory and a little brown, little sort of bronze-coloured television screen on which the page of text would appear. It was actually very simple but very effective. And you could, you know, you could type on it, you could you erase, you could alter. And you sat in the you room. You move type passages of type about, and then you could print it, it on a daisy wheel printer. That's right, I remember the daisy wheel going round. Because yeah. you, you, you worked in, you were in half the house, you lived in a different half of yeah. the house. And I had a room upstairs, yeah. No, I'm, th I'm thinking, when I remember it, it's from North Wales, so I remember oh, right. it being in a different yes. half of the house. That's right. And the middle of the house being your door. That's right. And on your door would be a sign that would say, Small Poor Lockians Keep Out. That's right. And you'd turn it round and say, You may enter. It said on the other side, You may enter if you bow three times, or something like that. And yeah. Poor Lockians for... It's, it's from Coleridge and Kubla Khan, somebody disturbed him. The visitor from Porlock, who disturbed him in the, in middle, the middle of, of writing. Kubla Khan, in the middle of writing, it was never finished. And he never remembered the rest never of it, because it was, it was a sort of opium dream, right. wasn't it? So he, had, he lost his uh, yeah. vision. Yeah. Anyway, that's how I saw I mean, that was the root of interest for me, was simply that it was a very convenient and sensible way of, of writing, in, in that you could move text about, you could reform, you know, you could print out, you could uh, erase, you could alter without erasing, and all, you know. And you were quite an early adopter, really, for your generation. They were most yeah. of the people you yeah. you were because you were a good twenty years older than probably most of the yeah. people. But I mean, I never got into it mathematically because I wasn't mathematically minded. So I never got. I mean, I did. I got the first Sinclair computer, which you had to use. You had to learn. You had to program it in basic. You had to, it's a very simple basic at the time. Was this the PCW? No, it's before the before PCW. That. It was the first, uh, what's his name? You know the Amstrad. name. Amstrad. No, you know the name, Sinclair. Spectrum, very, do you mean the Spectrum? Yeah, but it was before the Spectrum. Okay. He made the very first home computer for a hundred pounds, a white. Is Alan Sugar's Amstrad thing? Is that? No, that no. came a bit later. Okay. But I had this, this Sinclair thing. Okay. And you had to, you had to, you could buy magazines which had basic programs actually printed out and you sort of typed them into your computer and you had a, a game or whatever and you could program it yourself if you knew any basic. And did you do that? I learned enough basic, very simple basic, to, to program a kind of very simple game and also a very simple kind of random poetry generator. But it was very simple you had to write, I simply wrote lots of phrases and lines and then wrote this, pro, you know, if if this, then that, if yeah. this one, then that one. Well, I, I remember I learned a, a little bit of basic from you when you had the PCW in Coventry in your flat. Yes. And we were talking about that earlier, actually, when we had, yeah. you had basic and you had logo, which was the graphics. Yeah. People who, people who listen to this may have experienced logo at school 
with the robot yeah. which you program to go on different angles. Yeah. There was yeah. a there was a computer program version of That's that. That's right. Because that was when the school computers were nearly all the BBC computer. That's right. Which, when I was a kid, actually. Yeah. yeah. Which uh, Eddie, you know, a friend of ours, Eddie. I mean, still swears by it. He still thinks it was a great pity that that particular operating system was allowed to just die. As a so then I got my first MacBook. That's before the internet. A very little one. Which you remember because you had it at university. Yeah, I did, one. yeah. And then I went sort Bain of slowly up through Max until I got on the internet, you know, and it's gone on from there. But I mean, I don't code, you know, I can't. You did, you did, you did what, you had a, you were the first person I knew at the age of, I guess you must have been, what, 70. You were the first person I knew, maybe a bit younger, 65 maybe or something, yeah. to have a website. I mean, I was when you were at university because we put on it just a, a year before. Yeah, we you had an ex. I had a section, didn't I? Yeah, I'd learnt a little bit of HTML. That's right. So I could write write the pages. I mean, they were just pure text. There was no. I mean, there were websites by then already around with, with um, graphics on. But this was just pages of text, and you can use the HTML to refer from what you know the. Um, Page to page, yeah. yeah. To page to page, and that's all it was really. It was a sort of title page with the pages listed and a reference from page to page, all text. And and part of it was the stuff that you wrote, yeah. In university I, education, yeah. I, ten, I, half the pages. I wrote a, a sort of collection of essays called the University Education. Yeah. Some of them were actual essays I wrote on my course, yeah. I guess, and, and poem. Um, and, and some of them were poems, and some of them were essays about university. Was that the one? Was that was that the one that actually had to plan about 9/11? Because that dates. Yeah, it had 9/11 in it. At the end, yeah. that's when you were. You know, well, that dates. That was the year it was. Yeah, so by the end of that. So it was the year before that, no, though, because it was the the summer that yeah, that happened. You know, I don't know. 2002. I remember where I was when 9/11 happened. Yeah. Like they talk about the. Do you remember where you were when? the moon landings happened or when John Lennon was shot. Yeah. I don't remember the John Lennon. I do remember the moon landing. Yeah, you were in America. Well, because I was in America in a motel in Price, Utah, looking at it on American television. It wasn't a crowded room. There were very few visitors. You there. were on your own, yeah. I was on my own. and there, I, don't, there, I don't think there was anybody else in the room. And I guess that's kind of... A in or something like that's, that. That is slightly pertinent to the direction we'd already started, in a way, because... I guess at that point you were looking up at the moon and this man landing on it and yeah. that's sort of the on that the was the peak of technology at that moment yeah we could put a man on the moon yeah and that computer was uh, infinitely smaller well not infinitely but it was very much smaller than any than your laptop than my mobile phone than, your than mobile my mobile phone, phone. Yeah. and what did you think when man was put on the moon in that motel in on your own in America? I'd assumed it would happen because I'm in mean, from the 50s, uh, you know, uh, uh, Arthur C. Clarke and all that sort of thing. Brilliant. I was for a brief time in you a member of, that meant I got their literature. I wasn't a sort of active member of the British Interplanetary Society in the 50s and I used to get their magazine every day. Oh, right. Because I, you know, I did think it would happen. So, yeah, I mean, I wasn't surprised. Did you think it was a good thing? I don't know. I don't. I didn't have strong feelings. In it. I didn't sort of think, "Wow, you know, one step for mankind." Well, all that sort of thing. But on the other hand, I didn't think, "Oh God, they." I sort of expected it to happen, but it was all. T- I mean, my feelings about mankind then were tied. I mean, this was in the um, Cold War, so it was 1969, and the Russians had in fact put the first man in space. Yuri Gagarin. You know, and then uh, Nixon, you know, the, uh, the Americans insisted on catching up and, and overtaking it. Um, so it was all tied up with atomic power and two dangerous beasts facing one another. And you happened to be in yeah. the belly of one of them, I guess, because yeah. you were in America. Yeah, but I didn't think about the war when it was happening. I think I was just sort of interested. Um, I mean, the, the, the really, the, the most sensational of all the moon trips was the one where they Apollo said which one was it? 13. 13 where they I mean they that knew. was really yeah. that was more because that was they, they, 
you know, you didn't know whether they get back. Well, I think it was one of them, one of the early ones. I think it was Apollo. Two, one of them, one of them exploded. One of them, one of the original American uh, flights I went think up. One, did one exploded and people died. But they yeah, did. Yes, they did. The guys in the capsule died. Yeah. I mean, it's been a little while since I've read it because I was reading well, up then about it was after that came Explorer and the Explorer explosion. No, I mean, I was reading up about the uh, mooning, la- moon landings for a piece of writing I'm, write, uh, really? I'm writing, oh, but I, I can't remember anything about it. Was, it was about a year ago I was reading it, and I'm terrible at remembering precise details. It's become clear to me over time. You were an early adopter of technology for your age. In a way, although I'm not a techie person. No. I mean, even when I was in films, I never, I mean, I never actually learned as a director, so I didn't have to be a cameraman. But a lot of directors had. I mean, Davison, Larry Davison, my boyfriend. But, you know, he he would know more. He certainly learned still photography. I never sort of got into the technical side of anything unless it was to do with something I wanted to do personally. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's a lot of people are like that. You learn yeah. the tools that you need to do yeah. what you need but to I do. Mean, and you it don't would have been a good anymore. thing to know more about photography because you could actually have argued more with cameramen. <laughs> I, I mean, the great. I think the greatest. Go on. Probably one of the. Probably. For me, my point of view, I almost think I can't think that far enough. I mean, I don't know where you. One would do. I'll argue about Michael Powell and people like that. And I think the guy who made Walkabout, what's his name? Nicholas Rogue. Nicholas Rogue, who was actually one of the very few cameramen. I mean, he went up through, he went up through sort of assistant cameramen. He became a very, very good cameraman. So, yeah, N- Nick, Nicholas Rogue, the director, well, no, one who, hang on, just give them a bit cameraman, of... And then he became a director. That's right, so he was... And I think his films are probably, a lot of his films are very, very important. So Nicholas Rogue was a director who he directed performance and he directed Don't Look Now and he directed Walkabout. The other one is The Man Who Fell to Earth with yeah, David those Bowie. Those are the four I think are very, very significant. And he was an English you know, used to throw this word great about good great. Who became I mean, a director. If I was in one of these conversations where you're throwing great at that, I would say those are great films. And, and what you're saying is that because he knew the technical... A bit I think of, it's interesting. They're very. It was a very rare. I mean, Jack Cardiff, I think, did a bit of directing, but actually, Nicholas Ray went from being a very, very innovative cameraman. I mean, a very original, creative cameraman, to being a very innovative and creative director. But sometimes but, these things aren't naturally natural bedfellows, are they? No, I mean, no, that's quite. Not, a, no, not. He's an interesting case I mean, because he like moved. Sue you know, I'm sure that's, Sue would be uh, a very good director. Wolf, that's Wolf, Wolfgang, Wolfgang yeah. Suzuki, yeah. who is a sure. cameraman. Yeah, and he was a brilliant self photographer as well. I don't mean he should have done it, but I mean, a lot of people like that wouldn't have wanted to do it. Was Nicola, but then Nicholas Rowe didn't actually go into films to become a cameraman, I think. I think he went in a bit like I did, only with much more successful. He went in as a kind of dog's body because he wanted to get into films. And one of the dog's body ways up was you then asked to be to be an assistant in those days it was much less sort of film school training you were asked to become a assistant to the cameraman yeah. so you became an assistant cameraman and then because he was good and obviously able at it he then became a cameraman and he came up that way but had he had he sort of become an, a I don't know had he become a director or you know been helping on a script he might have come up another way so that may be why he's a rare. A lot of the people I've known who make music learn that stuff, and it's helped them immensely. So I guess what you're saying is, if you if you've got an instinct towards making art, it is worth learning the technical side of what you're doing, because then you have control over what you're. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. I mean, this is an interesting thing in terms of the internet. It's very difficult now. It's very extraordinary now, though, because there's so many schools. There's a guy called Rushkoff, a internet theorist, who I've listened to a podcast about relatively recently. He, he's got this theory of program or be programmed. Yeah. That if people don't learn how to program, so they have they no control code. over anything. Yeah. 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 If they don't learn code. Except, that. except the only way around that is you have to have somebody who is a relationship between two people, one who is very, very techy very much wanting to be 
wanting to further the other one's creativity. I mean, it is possible to get a relationship. Well, I mean, it's, a, it's a funny... There's always some aspect of that in some relationships where one of the people is more... Well, it's a th- funny thing about learning rules in terms of creativity because your other big film hero, or your biggest film hero, who I don't, we don't completely know, agree on, I know, I know. but yeah. is is awesome work. Absolutely. And no, he, no, he's a he, film hero. I think he's a great artist. But when he made Citizen Kane, yeah. remembering back to my film studies days, yeah. A level, yeah, he didn't know what. His, he didn't know the limitations, no, so he asked people to do things. Well, Greg Tolan, he had a great cameraman. But he had actually one of the other very, very creative cameramen. But Greg Tolan Greg had Tolan to work never out. Became a director. Yeah, did. but he. I don't think he had a director. But right. Tolan was presented with impossible, in theory, impossible requests that yeah. he then had to work out how technically well, always, to achieve. Yeah. In those days, that was always the same. I mean, with a director, you know, if you were a director, you you would you you would have a request. You you either had the kind of camera that said, "Oh no, can't do that. Terribly sorry." And I expect we're going oh, no, here with a stop or somewhere, or you had to kind of go and say, "All right." Well, you, you know, get you get the exactly the same. Want. I mean, Sue was like. I would say you get exactly the same in sound engineering. You yeah, get you get sound engineers who are like, let's go and work yeah, that out. Let's do it. And Tolan was like, I'm wondering like, no, you can't do that. That's uh, yeah, but now you might course, think you can do that. We've now reached with this whole business of code in there. We've now reached the point where any combination of visual and sound imagery in any form, any edited form or t- to any time scale relating to any musical beat or anything else you like, anything that you can imagine can be done. You know, it can be done. No, it can be done because people who can actually manipulate code. I mean, I was looking at what's it That's, called? You were looking at your grandson's yeah. Lego Universe game, yeah. I mean, I thought, you know, because uh, actually this has, I think this has sociological implications, but just to keep with what we're talking about, I mean, that is so, if you write the right code and you've sort of got the right program, you can you can put any image up there. Now, it's no longer a question of recording an image and altering it. I mean, you can do that if you like. This isn't that moment. But in the old days, you, I mean, in the early days of film, film, apart from, was either animation, drawn animation, or it was recording in it a real, real image of some sort, even if it was in a studio and, and created by, you know, so properties and that. And then manipulating that image by cutting it, by editing it. But now you can just, yeah, if you can imagine it and you can describe it to the person, to some, some circle of special effects men and women. Uh, programmers, men and women programmers, you know, if you can that, they will say, yeah, that's right, you know. CGI. CGI. And you yes. don't have to make the models, like, you look at the original Star Wars, and I think the reason that they were much more dynamic than the prequels, yeah. although this week some children have been telling me I'm wrong about this, but they're, they're wrong, yeah. um, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but but, but uh, the reason the original Star Wars films were more dynamic and had, because they had a physicality to them. Because the models were, was the spaceships were models yeah. in the in the prequels. Yeah. They've made everything in CGI, which I, I I don't. I'm not one of these CGI deniers. I, no, I think no, that there are some great th- things Fabulous. done with CGI, but, but, but it's, it's a like tool. Else. It's a and tool, it, and it's overused at the moment. Well, the other thing is that the trouble is that they, these tools become more and more sophisticated, and capable of doing more. Which means, in the hands of somebody with tremendous imagination. They magnify that imagination. You know, it's like, you, you know, you give Shakespeare CGI. I mean, it would, it would have been a magnification. But it also means that, um, well, you can see this by the way they, uh, Mac, for instance, are selling things like the, the new iMovie programs. They're, they're, it also means that they're, they're saying to anybody, they're putting these tools in their hands. I'm not saying they shouldn't, but people who would never dream of, say, making a movie, can get iMovie and make a movie. Now, whether they, whether that's an addition to the world, a good thing, or if they enjoy doing it, that's fine. You know. But isn't it a neutral thing? There's some. It, it's a punk thing in a way. But yeah. Punks, punk, punk meant 
anyone who can pick up a guitar can make a song. Yeah. Well, now anyone with a computer can make a movie. Yes. yes. Now that's a great, yeah. that's a liberating thing, the thing for people who would never have had the money. It's yeah. about money, really. Yeah. You could yeah. have someone with vision can make a movie when they would never have been financed. They never made well, yeah, every optical effect on iMovie. You would have had to have sort of gone to a, you know a laboratory and has would have cost you thousands of pounds just one simple but but it but it it also means what you were saying yeah which is that anyone can do it so yeah. there's a lot of bad films or bad music yeah. or un, well, it's un, an interesting you know, question here is what's there, bad what's is, good yeah but also is the restriction on the imagination a good thing I mean, if Shakespeare had got... I mean, you take... No, take Buffy. What's his name? Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon. I mean, I think he's a genius, too. But, I mean... Okay, he doesn't... He's not overcome by the media. I mean, he, he made, he's taken this, this medium of... Uh, television. Serial, yeah. serial television. So, yeah. Series television. And turned it, I think, into very... Well, on the other hand, you know, if you hadn't got all these modern technologies, that would have been impossible to make. I mean, you think of a mammoth, the mammoth task that would have been in old, with old-fashioned screen technology. It would take you a hundred years to make it, make the Buffy series. But, but most Buffy, most of Buffy is made physically. Oh, yes. yes. Most of yeah, it, but, but, by the end, he's using CGI, yeah. and I think yeah. the special effects with CGI were a little bit... Of a flaw with the with a brilliant series, I agree. But they were a bit of a flaw. well. That's what I'm. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't use CGI for his own sake. That's when CGI is bad. It's not anything which is used for its own sake without any contextual well, validity. Well, he did use it actually. I would, I would, although I mean, Joss Whedon is one of my heroes. I would slightly challenge you on that because in the last series, the reason you know, in the last series when they fight against all of the original vampires, yes. the reason that there's so many original vampires was because it was the first time they could do that. So they went, we can do this, no one's done it before, this is a kind of, we can have a massive CGI army of creatures on on television. And we could never do that before this moment. You could only do that in film before that. And before that, you couldn't even do it in film. So I would say he he wasn't afraid to sort of do, well, we can do this for the first, but that's trailblazing. That's saying we can do this. Let's do it. Actually, We've never they done, could it have done it. Film, presumably they could have done it in television, but the cost or something. Yeah, it's to do I mean, with cost. The cost to come down. Lord of the Rings with all those. Bad. Yeah, they CGI? yeah, they were, and CGI. and the Star Wars prequels. You doing those in the forties, fifties. You know, had to hire. You know, which people did. You had to hire the Hungarian army. Yeah, well, like Spartacus's right. battle scenes. Well, I think. They, yeah. they, I mean, they were amazing. They had loads of people in them, and they, they are really, really. Yeah, you had to get physically get fifteen hundred people. Anyway, yes, okay. And now they don't. Now they don't. So, I mean, it's a hard question to answer. Is restriction a good thing? I think yes, but not simply yes. No. I absolutely agree with that. Sometimes, yes. Yeah. It's not necessarily a good thing. And also, you make your own... Yeah. There are different areas that you have restrictions in. Yes. So sometimes it's good to be free in one area, yeah. but still be restricted in another. Yeah. I mean, what about writing, for instance? I mean, in one way, thinking about it, in the old days, when you wrote a script, you had to write... Well, you didn't have to. But people would have got a bit fed up with you if you didn't. You had to actually think, well, now what can be done in film? No, I can't do that because but they could do it this way. But now, quite honestly, if you have a good imagination and you sit down and you write a brilliant imaginative story, you can hand that to sort of special effects people and code, uh, you know, um, CGI people and say, right, these are the images required. And they can say, yeah, okay. But then there's always been a split between you know, artists who thought about that an artist that didn't care. You know, if you look yeah. at plays, like Shakespeare wrote Exit Pursued by a Bear. Yeah. When he yeah. wrote that, he was thinking, well, I guess he was thinking what could be achieved, I guess, actually, yeah. in this case, at the time, a bear was quite easy to get and have yeah. onto a stage. Was it a real they Yeah, real they would have used the real bear because it was a different time yeah. and you could Not do that. In a That's in A Winter's Tale. But, but okay, but Peter Schaefer in, um, oh, God, in his play, 
about he wrote a play about Hannibal crossing the Alps and he has a stage direction they cross the Alps and yeah. so the director will have to work out how, to, how on yeah. earth to put on stage yeah. well you still would on stage how can you do that how can well, you achieve you that you have to there. think yeah. how can I achieve yeah. that and there have been but, other but like, if you'd run it for a film that would be easy well, think about when we read that play together, and in, in our we, we get together and read plays with some people, and we read Sarah Kane, which had like a flower comes out of the stage and yeah. opens, you know, uh, you know. In when she wrote that, she didn't care how it would be achieved. It would be achieved. You have to think as the director. You have to think how how on earth can I make that happen? And that's and there is there's a great value in that in trying to do things beyond your limitations yeah. and working out how to achieve that. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and this technology does allow for that. But you know what I was thinking? Do you want to change the subject totally? Go, go, go for it, whatever. Because it's very strange and I'm sure I'm wrong. But when I was watching my grandson's Lego Universe... Uh, Lego Universe is a online role-playing game for children where you have an avatar that is a Lego character that goes around and interacts with other children who are online. It's very well moderated. For people my age, it's a little bit like World of Warcraft but made by Lego for children. For people your age, I don't know if there's, a, there's no comparison, there's no well, thing no, that you had. I'm not very familiar with games, but I mean, yeah, there are equally sophisticated games which would, I'm sure, be equally relevant to the argument, to my argument or, or my thoughts about it. But what it does occur to me as a socialist, you know, to really change the subject, one of the arguments for capitalism has always been that it is the ra- is the only rational it is the most rational way of achieving uh, uh, ha- not exactly happiness but yeah for the greatest number of people it's the only it's the most rational way of achieving the greatest amount of happiness for, uh, for people this happiness can only be achieved at the cost of x y and z and various factors which are necessary for capitalism because it is quite impossible to have a totally rational system of distribution because we simply are not able to do it. But the market, by, by using the market, we can, we can have a form of society in which, while it's not perfect, the market determines you know, supply and demand, etc. work out in the end that we get the best basic distribution we can have. It's a fairly good. But it seems to me that we have now reached the age with, with uh, computerization where this is no longer true. And then, uh, in fact, the only problem we would have now to form to, 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 is to formulate our, requ- our requirements. If we could formulate what is the requirement for human life, for the, the, the maximum, to distribute, to distribute quality amongst the all the total totality of the human race, yeah. and we could feed this into a 55 grey computers, something like that, they would come up with a more rational alternative, with a rational alternative to capitalism, which would be more rational than capitalism, because computers actually are now capable of a greater rationality already, I think, than, than human beings. The problem is, of course, programming. Well, I think, I don't know about that. I think, in a way, one of the, the, the metaphors that I you find useful in thinking about capitalism is a sort of self-replicating computer code that someone started this code yeah. and it just carries on yeah, but it's full of through its own logic yeah okay it's, it, 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 there are flaws in the it's coding like maybe that's the problem yeah. but even if, if it was if it was extremely even if it, if it was at a point where it was extremely precise then capitalism as a as a code would spread out logically just destroying human beings in its path really because it would just keep on money has a logic to it whereby you have poor people and they and you have rich people and this is just the way it, you know it, it, it interacts 
I mean, it is like a computer virus that we have no control over anymore because we've set it running and it just keeps on playing yes, out within the logic. We haven't programmed it. We, haven't, we would say that it is the kind of way it's inherent in nature that um, you know, the market is a kind of mathematical, self-existing thing which arrives at by, by compromise etc arrives at the greatest possible equality that isn't terribly equal because I mean Murdoch unfortunately under this system has to earn X billion and high wing or somebody in some small part of Asia has to earn less than two dollars a day and die I mean this is one of the unfortunate corollaries of capitalism I mean it, is right by helping trying to get back to the, the third world to market, yes. become yeah. less third world and more yeah. uh, first world and yeah. then we can and everyone will have a better quality of life generally Absolutely. and the fact that everyone's forgotten their entire cultures yeah. and their ways of Absolutely. existing doesn't matter really because we're all a bit happier okay Absolutely. and that great proselytizer for uh, competition group of murdoch i mean uh, is a man who obviously is totally against monopoly because he realises that it's totally contrary to the, to the capitalist values. And in fact, uh, you know, once you allow monopoly to interfere with the market, my God, you know. And your point, your point there is that Murdoch has a complete monopoly over I mean, media at the moment. To believe in capitalism, he doesn't believe in capitalism. He believes in um, himself. Yes, himself, and uh, what do you call it? Uh, I don't know. Accumulation, personal accumulation, by any means whatsoever. But capitalism isn't really an ideology, it is just a system. Well, it claims it isn't an ideology, of course. But, I mean, you know. If it was an ideology, at least it would make a bit more yeah, sense. It's an, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's... I mean, yes, I mean, if it was an ideology, it would be pure. And if it was pure and the market really was allowed to operate, it would work very efficiently. Brutally. At the cost. Yeah of enormous suffering in those people who it left out. But that's the argument that people have for having a compromised capitalism. That if yeah. you have a compromised version of the system, then it is less brutal, less people are damaged by it. Yeah, but it also means that it's compromised in the favour of those people who, do, who, uh, who escape have power. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that was just a digression. A small digression about capitalism. A small digression about capitalism. The interesting thing about it is I mean, the, you, there you were watching a computer game yeah. that is being played online yeah. by a child, yeah. Yeah. and you were one of the early adopters of computers. You you were writing HTML. You've forgotten a lot of that now, but you yeah. you were writing it very early very, on. Very crude, small amount. Yeah, I was. Yeah. But you wouldn't have been able to to play that game. You wouldn't have been able to play that game. Oh yes, I would if I sat down and worked. I sat down at it very slowly. Uh, yeah, because it's made. I mean, it's not made for. It's not made for people who can code. It's made for kids who are familiar with, you know, computer manipulation, key manipulation. And, uh, but even then, there's a hell of a lot of language me, that you don't. Oh yeah, and he was much quicker at it than me. There's a whole lot of processes that you would be completely unfamiliar with. Yeah. So you've never played a computer game like no, that. So you wouldn't know the language of the, the one game. Aspect. Yeah, and that's partly because the one aspect of computers I've never really got into has been games. Yeah. Uh, I've never really been into games generally. I mean, the only game I really sort of played at all and really enjoy, and I'm not very good at it. I mean, I, 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 when I played it a lot, I was adequate at it, but no more, never be more, is chess. But, um, well, chess is something that computers can, uh, can beat can human beings on now. Yeah. Yeah, that's another, yeah, that's what I mean. They are already proving So, so why, if, if computers beat humans in chess, would not computers be able to produce a system more rational than capitalism for fulfilling human But isn't it, a computer is only as good as the person yeah, programming? programming? Yeah, I know. And so... But what was the first thing we said that they can do? Uh, they can play at chess. They can play okay. chess, yeah, but, but they've been the programmed program, by people to play chess. But the chess. man who programmed other men at chess couldn't beat the computer. And women. And women. Well, that's me. But, I mean, it was put in. The program was put in, but not the actual victory in the game. Yeah. 
In fact, you, the guy who actually programmed that computer was programming, was building into that computer a program which could beat him. Yeah. Well, that's he quite a scary idea. Though, I what I could do. But because it has greater powers of computation, that, you know, if you formulate the law, the rules of computation for it. But what's the value? What's the value in creating things that can make these sorts of decisions? Does it make people happier? What kind of conclusions? Do, as someone who's followed technology, I know your thing is that you don't like to make conclusions, or there is no, there are no conclusions. No, isn't your, your big phrase is nobody knows, isn't it? Well, something. Yeah, that's that's that's. Oh no, no. I mean, you mean I don't know about technology. I think it's like it always has been. It is, in a sense, neutral, but of course, the more it advances, the more it is able, on both sides of that neutrality, it can be even more evil and even more good, or you know, it can have even more evil effects rather, and even more good effects. It's more powerful. Yes, that's what. Right. Yeah, but the only progress. Okay, folks, we'll shortly be at uh, Stratford East London. We uh, seem to have had a fairly good run. We are pretty much dead on time at this stage. Before leaving us, please make sure that you have all your belongings with you. And I'd like to remind you to remain <laughs> seated until the coach has come to complete standstill. The on top of all other passengers, if you have any rubbish on board, please don't leave it on the vehicle. There are bins at all our stops here, and if you'd like to use those, the oncoming passenger, please to get onto a clean coach. Thank you. That's very good. Okay. So the only progress. The only, uh, what were we talking about? Yeah, we've had a, the man's been a Porlockian here oh, and yes, lost he your has. thought. The only progress you said, you were talking about computers, uh, yeah, technology, probably. they're being neutral, there's good and bad. Oh, yeah, 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 no, the only progress they can make is to be, the only progress technology makes, the uh, people talk about, does it, is technology progressive? The only progress it makes is to be more powerful. The technology of today is more powerful than the technology of a hundred years ago, but it's equally probably neutral in the sense that it's more powerfully good, more powerfully potentially good, and more powerfully potentially bad. And it, that's all. Well, it's altering what it is to be human to a certain extent. Technology yes. now. Yes. Yes. And we're at Stratford. And we are at Stratford. Oh. Okay. So I'm going to stop it now, but I might start recording again in it. We've got about 15 minutes in a little while, so we'll leave you for now. Right, okay, so now we're at Stratford and the delays of. Yeah. Are we carrying on more? We are, yeah. Well, we're going through the barriers and all that. All that, yeah. We take them on a journey with us. Um, so we're at Stratford and we're going through the technology here. We're going through the gate. And we're. We've just got severe delays. We haven't actually got cancelled trains. So we're going through. Dad's using his Freedom Pass. Yes. Right. right, so So I guess this conversation has really been about kind of computers and how Generally, yes. Yeah, well I think yeah. even the diversions have been around computers I mean we're walking through a as we walk as we walk through this crowded subway I mean there's a computer display up there or Telling us yeah, what true, what true. trains yeah. we've just come through a mechanical barrier. Yeah. I mean, that was not the world that you grew up in. No, definitely not. No. Do you notice how different the world is? Um, yes and no. I mean, the point is that as you progress, is it this? One? Yeah, it's this one. Can you manage? No, I'm fine. Yes and no. You're aware of it, but I mean, I, I'm trying to figure out what You'd have to have a sort of gap. You'd have to be away from it. Everything changes. The technology changes so many times. And incrementally as well. Incrementally. Yeah. Which sudden bursts. Yeah. Like sudden bursts, like the internet. But basically. Put your bag down. 
where you wonder how it is going to develop because it's reached a kind of critical it's, it's reaching the critical point where the technology may be superior to its inventors <laughs> you think well I mean it's, re it's, it's reached the point where you can imagine that is one possibility you can imagine a computer that we've reached beyond human reason and knowledge we've actually not exactly created but discovered in a sense engineered the beginning of our own of, of the superiority to our own understanding but who knows but that's that is different to anything else well i think in terms of dates yesterday is when in the terminator 2 for 2 film skynet was supposed to become sentient and yeah. tomorrow is when uh, the computers are supposed to take over mm -hmm. i think in terms of that science fiction film that's when yes. it was set so that might be a, a prescient yes, for film in that respect yeah. um, but i mean the, but as, as one said before that that the technology only progresses in the sense it gets stronger either in a bad or good way the danger is that rather than create something more wonderful in ourselves we actually destroy ourselves and everything else yeah or it does or I don't know or it, yeah I, I think that's fair it's a theory so here we go we're going on the train the tube with a computer well it's got a driver on it yes but it wouldn't exist without computers I mean, did the tube exist when you were a kid? It did, didn't it? It was when it, the tube started. Uh, yeah. I mean, my first encounter with it was... Yeah, I was living in London from about eight. But it was it's my space. I went on it occasionally. It existed, I, kid, I think, from the I mean, Victorian when, age. As soon as I started to work, I went on it regularly. I think that the, the, the tube existed in the Victorian age, I think. Um, the earliest. Because it was a train. It was, it was a train, and, you know. Yeah, well, it was originally a post office tunnel, wasn't it? Yeah. Wasn't it? Probably. I'm That's, not sure. I'm not sure myself. But, I mean, no. I mean, there was a... By the 1930s, there was a big... The London Underground was actually sort of considered very significant aesthetically because what you see today I mean the tube map and all that that particular graphic style relates to the bar house and all that sort of thing yeah no true you know it was very progressive but the designer didn't get much I don't think the designer got any money from it I know I think that's I forget the name you know it you've read this I've I, read a bit I can't remember I was doing, again I was doing research for a book and now I've forgotten all of the information so, unless I've just read the information, I'm loath to say it these days on podcasts. Because, you know, there's enough misinformation out there on the internet without adding to it. Yeah. I mean, it's an area that we haven't talked about in terms what? of the internet. What? What area? Information. So you well, learnt it to type to do your own job. And we've yeah. talked about it as a computers as a tool to make art. Yeah, well it does distribute information in a totally in a new but way, but also it distributes it much more widely, doesn't it? Whether the, you know, whether there's a downside to all this is the thing about technology being more powerful, good and bad. For good and bad with good and bad results. But certainly it's, it's more powerful. Dissemination, dissemination of information now is worldwide, very fast, it happens quickly, it goes to a larger number of people, they can respond faster. You know, there's this thing you have called Twitter, yes, which I, I cannot master. Wait, well, follow me, Goosefat101. You use it a lot. Yeah. I yeah, do. Go on. I'm plugged into it. No, I've done my plug. Yeah. I'm, I'm, right. I'm plugged into it all the time, really. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't. I'm never not online. No. Probably now. You got a BlackBerry? Yeah, on my BlackBerry. You'd like an iPhone? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. If anybody wants to send me one, yeah. I'll happily take that donation. <laughs> well, you're an Apple. You're an Apple fan. Are they call it fan. You, yeah, I'm not you're really. You're an Apple fanboy. Well, I say. Yeah. Not extreme because I don't know enough. I mean, the real Apple sort of 
geeks or Apple, you know, people are into code and but you sneer at uh, you sneer at PCs. Well, I've always sneered at Bill Gates. Yeah, no, no, not personally. I don't have great animosity for him. I don't dislike him the way I dislike Rupert Murdoch. I know I don't know him. I have no reason to dislike him personally. But I mean, I Steve Jobs ain't much better. Are you? No, I don't know. Anyway, I don't, what I'm saying is I don't feel like that about Bill Gates. I mean, but uh, but I, I, I no, I I think it's a matter of that I got an apple, didn't I? In the early days of graphic, the, f- the first graphic, yeah, it was Apple who introduced the graphic interface, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. And that's what I got. I mean, I got a little black and white silver Apple notebook, didn't I? That's what you, which you had. And, I, and on that, that was the kind of extension of the word processor that I'd had. For all those, yeah. 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 So that's why I bought it, and then I got into knowing. And as I say, I'm not geeky, so once, I, learn once system, I'd learned a particular yeah. system, it's much easier for me to go on with that system. But I do like. I, I think. I don't know. I think it's arguable the Apple is a better system. I couldn't argue it. I don't know enough about it. Look, it's certainly. That would be a good nice. podcast, actually, to have a really sound technical argument. Two people who really knew about it. <laughs> right, grab your bag. Here we go. We are now reached Leytonstone for, pe- for, pe- for, for journey geeks that care about where we are. Do you want yeah, me to we'll carry that? Are you alright? No, no, that's alright. Okay. That's alright, we have reached Leytonstone, yes. Finally, on our great So that you, from, you, 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 you've journeyed, up, journeyed with us. Yeah. If you're on your own commute. You've listened to some other people <laughs> travelling yeah. on your travels. Anyway, what do you think that your parents would make of the technological world that we live in now? Oh, God, my parents? Yeah. Um, yes, I mean, it's a very hard question, in a way, because is one assuming that they are the age they were when I sort of, when they died or when I last knew them? but alive today, in which case they would have been born uh, that long, their lifetime ago, which means they, you know, it wouldn't be that they come from when they were. You mean, if, if your parents could have seen in a crystal yeah. ball the world that well, we live in You know, you journey... My parents came before, would a childhood was before the First World War. So, I mean, you know, they were into sort of non-packet foods, everything was sort of come from the farm or and the shops were all sort of individual so yes they would they would have been amazed but I mean you could easily say what would somebody living in the time of William the Conqueror thought if you just suddenly showed them would that be the same you think would it be as extreme sorry would it be as extreme for them as it was for someone at William the Conqueror I mean it wouldn't be much... I mean, I think probably the distance between the world of William the Conqueror and the world of... Your parents. 1900. Yeah. Well, no, 1902. If you go back to before the Industrial Revolution, if you go back to 17, 1650, yeah. the world between William the Conqueror and 1650, or a bit, a bit later, 1730 or something like that, would have been... There'd have been less difference within, you know, over all that period of time than there has been in sort of every ten years since, probably. And you've lived most of that time. Well, I lived, yeah. You've, you've lived through the the wildest technological advancements. Do you think throughout history? Possibly, but I mean, to have lived. But yeah, because it's not only that things have changed, but the speed of change has grown. It's going faster. So, Although obviously, if you you know if you'd lived in 1730, uh, by the time you were dead in 1860, no, uh, in 1800, there would have been considerable changes. But the changes between what 1945 and what or 19, you know, and today. Are enormous. Yeah. The speed of change is fantastic. 
Speed of change has changed. Well, the internet sort of came in in 10 years, didn't it? But one thing... Just the steam came in in over sort of 50, 60, 70, 80 years. Steaming. But one thing you can think about when you think about history, I often... Well, I've, I've, I think and I've heard other people say, is there have been many times throughout his, human history where technology has advanced and, te- and civilization has advanced to a very high level. And then significant things happened in the past that knocked it back yes so the the, yes. the dark ages yeah. knocked us back and this is true. alexandria's the alexandria museum the, the library was burnt you know this is true civilizations yeah. have yeah. do you think that's possible now i don't think you'd be knocked back like that now i think you'd be the powerful thing comes in again the power of the powerful the powerfulness of technology, good or bad. I think if you're knocked back today, to be knocked back would be it would be a catastrophic knockback. You'd have to be because we're so dependent on. Yeah, time. you couldn't be sort of knocked back into, you know, oh God, we've got to start doing this again. People wouldn't be like that. They'd be knocked back because suddenly there weren't the things that they, you know, it would be really what we call it, Apo- apocalyptic. apocalyptic. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean. Whereas if you had a, you know, if you in the past, if somebody. It wasn't so much technology was knocked back; it was kind of social economies were knocked. Uh, a civilized a structure, a civilized structure was. Or even out. knowledge. Yeah, yeah, knowledge disappeared. So. If, if the, but still, if the, you were everybody was still living on farmed goods. You know, the goods that had to be. Life still stayed in the same way. Okay. We're crossing a road at the moment. This is why we're a bit distracted. Okay. All right. All right. Um, That's yeah. hazardous. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do not. Don't. Yeah. Don't. Don't do podcast and crossing, crossing a road, yeah. children. When those knockbacks have happened in the past, they have happened to the the, the people with the knowledge lost the knowledge. But the everyday yes. human experience remained relatively yes. the same. Yeah. Would you say? Yeah. yeah, because that knowledge, the the everyday people were not dependent on that knowledge for their sort of producing their food or the way they live. They were dependent on it for its own sake. For knowledge. But yeah. now, I mean, everyone has the knowledge. If you now, didn't though. have the knowledge now to go into Tesco, if the knowledge was built Tesco and runs Tesco <laughs> disappeared, you would have to go back way back to some of our old farming and start digging planting turnips in your back garden in London hoping they would grow up so you could eat them next winter I mean relearn the human experience but doesn't everybody have the knowledge now no I mean when the Alexandria they're all dependent yeah but when no I don't mean I don't mean everyone has the skill to farm but I mean, in terms of when the Alexandria Museum, no museum, library, yeah, burned, yeah. was burned, yeah. and all of that knowledge was lost, it was only, yeah. there was only a few that had access to that knowledge. Well, unless it was an absolute total apocalypse, you're quite right. I mean, if knowledge survived, it would, it would be there, electronically, and as long as a few people, educated people, were alive. Well, you know, what, this, it could be rebuilt. But what I'm talking about here, but, in terms of technology now, is we have all got access to the, what the greatest minds of the moment are thinking yes. via the internet, as much as we have access to what the yes, we, what the least minds are thinking yeah. over the internet. Yeah. That, that we don't have a... Well, the internet could be destroyed if there was an apocalypse. True, but we don't have a society that is where an elite have access to knowledge anymore. Well, the computers have access to knowledge. That's the kind of elite. I mean, if the internet, if the computers were destroyed, there would be... Well, even people are very bright now. They depend for their memory on computers. Nobody, you know... Yeah. If you're, I don't know enough about math to, 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 to actually, but it seems to me, that it's true of other disciplines, surely too, that, I mean, you know, you don't remember every formula, because the more, and everything now, they're, you, they're, you know. You don't have to know all no. of the numbers in no, pi, within, you, can, yeah. you can just look it up. Well, yeah. Well, I think this is a kind so of true. So you're looking up rules, you know that you get from there to there and you 
you know, it's a very complicated process. In fact, the computer, lots of it, it's a question of triggering in a particular programme, which contains a vast number of rules, which takes you to another step. I mean... Well, this is true. I mean, I, I, now, I think my memory is worse for information. I know you're always saying that my, my memory's good. It's quite good for plot. But yeah. my, wor- my memory is much worse for facts, because I doesn't have to be. I don't have to remember stuff. I've got my BlackBerry. I can look it up. One thing I've discovered podcasting is because I'm having these conversations offline, yeah. I'm not looking up things while I'm talking to you now. Yeah. I can't check and verify my information. So I've discovered that I have to be very careful about what I remember because it won't necessarily be true. Yeah. Yeah. And that, in the past, I might remember this stuff. Like, I don't know any of the dates of any history. No, I don't well. No, it's not it's that you don't feel the need to, to remember these things. Yeah, true. I mean, this is the argument, that, you know, should you teach children uh, dates and things, or should you teach them concepts that they're interested in, you know, the changes within civilization, which are not to do in the, with King Etz died on this point, but are to do with sort of vast social... Yeah, but if someone said Semi, you know, interactions with technology and, and ideas and that. But if someone took the internet away from me, yeah. I don't have any knowledge. All my knowledge is based on using the internet to, to put together my thoughts and oh, to yeah. put together my knowledge. Also, there are vast areas of knowledge which you don't know yourself, but you know somebody knows and you know they've been placed on the internet yeah so, so you don't bother you don't bother but then there's I mean, so much if you say to if you know. learn that a certain calculation or a certain formula is necessary to calculate to get a certain result about something i mean you can go and look that up and just sort of put figures in and, and do it but yeah. you won't and you won't necessarily understand that calculation you don't have to understand it so you probably won't remember it i mean it's no, you you I mean, are reliant on having that there. So you can always say, oh, when I want to do that, I'll go and... Well, I don't know how the things that I do are done. I don't know. It's, it is coming back to that, that phrase, program or be programmed, that I don't know... I don't have access to the tools that construct my knowledge. I don't understand science. I rely on scientists <laughs> being... Yes. I, I rely on yes, a system... I, yeah. that balances knowledge and gives me access to that knowledge, I guess. Yeah, I suppose I do, yeah. But, I mean... The, the, I mean, the, the idea of a complete man, who was both the complete theoretician and the complete practical man, who, was, who sat in his small Greek holding or something, and thought about philosophy and also grew his turnips. I mean, this kind of human being is no longer either there or possible because of the immensity of human knowledge you have to specialize yeah you have to specialize you have to rely on sources of information you can access no fair enough and that is what the internet is and you have come come so far with it but you can't you can't embrace the next step I don't know. I, I don't mean, know what you. Is. Well, no, but I mean, you. The current next step is social networking, yes. and that is something that you um, have yet to. It's maybe because I'm. I mean, at my age, I don't have that kind of. The need, I mean, I'm sure if I was in my twenties or thirties, yeah, you know, or sixteen or whatever. I mean, I had friends at school, and we, you know, we had various different groups and things. Yeah, I'm sure I'd be on using Facebook in as the way today of communicating the kind of things that you want to communicate within the small within groups and because it is much more uh, advanced I would obviously take advantage of it and do things which I couldn't do then <laughs> but as I'm at my age and I'm not all that terribly interested in having a great a vast set of unknown friends <laughs> um, you know it's just a step too far I mean it's enough for me to sort of sit in front of a very good Mac with a big screen and sort of read Art and Letters Daily. Yeah. Uh, you know, go to Art and Letters Daily and pick up lots of good articles. No, fair enough. I mean, when when I put but you I, on Twitter, it was very... It was like a big noise to you. Yeah, it was like a big noise. I mean, I could see myself getting on it if I had a reason at that 
But I, find, I do find Twitter is so just a sort of great running bell of sort of statements. You, know, I could, you could go up to everybody I mean and say, give me, you know, what do you think about this? Ten words. Or something, you know, what do you think about the weather? Ten words. Oh, well, I think it's sunny today, isn't it? Yep, right. No, <laughs> you know, that, that is my but then, negative, destructive view of Twitter. I'm but sure then coming, not, coming not back like to kind yeah. of... Uh, well, it, it, it is like that and it isn't, like all of these things. I think, coming back to a sort of earlier thread that we were talking about, about limitation, though, I mean, Twitter is a very, very kind of perfectly limited art form. Can you say something that will interest other people in 140 that is characters? That's very valid. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, Jen does that. Yeah, Jen does that. Jadam Thwaite is her Twitter handle, and mine is Goosefat101. I like to think I do that too. I mean, we are now reaching our road where we both live, because we're lucky enough to live near each other. And so we've, we've reached the end of our journey and a sort of conversation. Thought I was going to hit, get hit by a car then, just for that'll be a dramatic end. Uh, do you have anything to plug, Dad? No. Yeah, that's the, the question I ask people at the end. <laughs> He'll have a website up and running at some oh, point. Yeah, I might have one. Yes, I probably will have one. Maybe again. When you hear this, have a look and see if you can find him in the vast sea of the internet. <laughs> Google is your friend. <laughs> so uh, let's uh, say goodbye to the listeners. Yeah, goodbye, listeners. <laughs> yeah, it's alright. <laughs> yeah, not bad. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter, at GBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook, it's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app that you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the App Store. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.